research that resonates. Schweitzer has not been wrong on any of his years and years of reporting on the Bidens. Investigations that matter. If your last name wasn't Biden, do you think you would have been asked to be on the board of Burisma? I don't know. I don't know. Probably not. But that's, you know, I, I don't think that there's a lot of things that would have happened in my life that, uh, that if my last name wasn't Biden. The only entities, the only people that would report on this, and Peter Schweitzer, who deserves a Medal of Freedom, in my view. This is The Drill Down with Peter Schweitzer. Hi, this is Peter Schweitzer, and welcome to The Drill Down, where we relentlessly expose cronyism, corruption, and the abuse of power. My co-host is always Eric, Eric Eggers. How are you? I'm wonderful, Peter. How are you? Excellent. Well, we've got a very interesting topic today. There's been all this debate. There's been all this legal action about election interference, right? You've got the allegations made by Team Trump that the election was stolen at the battle box at the ballot box. You have, on the other hand, now legal charges being brought against Donald Trump, claiming he was trying to interfere in the election. Well, our guest today says, yeah, okay, that may or may not be going on, but there's something far more important going on when it comes to election interference. And that's actually where and how we process the information that we receive. Yeah, I think it's maybe the biggest story that we don't talk about enough. The idea of election interference has been elevated in the wake of the January 6th trials. And now, obviously, Donald Trump has his famous uh, mugshot. But uh, the person that we're talking to today is actually someone we've worked with for the last five years. He's older than me, but I sort of feel like a proud father. You know, we work together. We, we drew him out to, and we elevate him in the documentary, which you can still see on Amazon, The Creepy Line. Dr. Robert, Robert Epstein has an amazing background, both academically and professionally. Um, and we still talk about his very unique way of seeing the world. But uh, but I think the things that he's been talking about, about the threat that big tech and Google specifically poses, the impact it can have on our elections uh, has never been more real. We saw the impact big tech can have just in terms of the censorship they had with the Hunter Biden laptop story ahead of 2020. We've we've known about that. But Dr. Epstein has research from 2020 and I think moving forward to 2024 to say that may be just a small glimpse of how bad the problem actually was. That's right. Uh, Robert Epstein is joining us. He got his PhD from Harvard University. He's the former editor-in-chief of Psychology Today. Uh, he has really created the concept of search engine manipulation effect. Uh, Robert, it's great to have you join us. Thanks for being here. It's so good to be with you. I consider both of you to be uh, dear friends. I uh, it's a shame we don't have enough contact, so at least this show gives us an excuse to chat. Yes, thank you. It, it is great to, uh, to spend time with you. And uh, by the way, I would also say I had teenage children. I actually read some of Dr. Epstein's research and work on dealing with teenage children. It was quite effective. So he's a multitasker, but that may be another episode. Uh, let's stay away from uh, that subject for now. So, Well, beca because just to be clear, his thought is as a parent your child should never lose their temper and it's like and that is i'm just telling you i have four children that's a threshold i've yet to meet dr epstein so i apologize for that so, so we do need to talk more okay well, let's let's talk let's let's talk about search engine manipulation effect what does it mean and and make the case here in a couple of minutes why people should care i mean most people have the impression Everybody's got their political views already formed. So how is Google going to change my attitude or how is it going to change uh, votes? Make the case. First of all, you're quite right. A lot of people 
uh, already have their opinions. They they have their commitments, you could say. They're not really vulnerable to manipulation by Google or anyone else, for that matter, even their best friends. Uh, but then there's that kind of middle third. And so if you go back uh, six months before an election, uh, research says that somewhere between 40 and 60 percent at some point in time of, of voters or potential voters are really undecided. They can still be influenced. Now, you go a little closer in time to an election, okay, that number drops. Uh, at some point, for sure, absolutely, positively, and this is the number that we work with all the time now, 20% of the electorate is positively uncommitted, undecided, and they can be influenced. And as you get closer and closer to an election, uh, the campaigns focus in on those people. They focus in on the so-called uh, swing voters in the swing counties and the swing states. And that's where all the money and attention is going. Literally, sometimes hundreds of millions of dollars uh, are being devoted to influencing them. But all those forms of influence are competitive. They're inherently competitive. Uh, you put up a billboard, I put up a billboard. You buy a TV commercial, I buy two TV commercials. And uh, then there's a lot of dirty tricks occurring, too, on both sides. That's always been true. It always will be true. But even the dirty tricks are competitive. So, for example, I heard a speech recently. Uh, I attended an event in Newport Beach, and Senator Steve Daines was talking about how the Dems were getting good at ballot harvesting. We should do that, too. So, you know, it's competitive. All the forms of influence, all the news media, there's thousands of different news media out there trying to get your attention. All that's competitive, too. But what has emerged in the midst of all this that really just crept up on us and virtually no one pays any attention to is that uh, new forms of influence have emerged. And that's what I've been discovering and studying and quantifying now for more than 11 years, uh, which are not competitive, not at all. If a platform such as Google wants to influence people, in other words, they want to endorse a particular party which they do. They want to endorse a particular candidate, which they do over and over again. Guess what? There's nothing you can do. You can't buy an opposing billboard because the platform itself is a monopoly at this point, uh, controlling 93% of search worldwide. And the next most popular search engine controls about 2% of search. So it has no impact on elections. So, <laughs> What, what, what we discovered starting in 2013 was that something as simple as, uh, showing search results that are biased, that favor one candidate over another, can shift opinions and votes to an extraordinary degree. I thought maybe if one candidate is favored in search results, which means, you know, near the top of the first page, if you click on that, that link is going to take you to a web page that makes one candidate look better than the other. So that's what bias means in search results. I thought initially that we could probably shift two or three percent of voters randomly assigning them to either search results favoring candidate A or candidate B, right? So it's random assignment. So we can shift them in either direction. I thought by two or three percent with bias search results. 
first experiment we ran, we got a shift of something like 43%, which I didn't believe. Mm. Mm. Uh, the next one, we got a shift of 66%, which I certainly didn't believe. But that led to us really digging in and making a major discovery, which ultimately got published in the Proceedings of the National Academy of Sciences. And that effect, by the way, has since been replicated multiple times by other teams, other researchers. Uh, this is real. And that effect uh, is one of about a dozen that we've discovered over the years now, and we've continued to publish in peer-reviewed journals. Uh, this is serious science. This is serious influence, new forms of influence made possible by new technology. And I just want to add one more thing to this because I want this issue to be on the table. There's another way in which these companies are influencing us. They are getting us to do, they're doing what magicians do. They're, they're getting us to focus on other issues. They're getting us to focus on ballot harvesting and tampering with voting machines and ballot stuffing and all that stuff, you know, some of which people call conspiracy theories. The point is that these companies, they determine what stories go viral. Think about that. I mean, everyone knows, for example, that social media platforms suppressed the story about Hunter Biden's laptop. I mean, that, that we know for sure because that's been documented. But what you don't realize is they decide for every single story there is what stories are going to spread and what stories are going to be suppressed. So what they have been doing is occupying our minds with all kinds of stories about relatively small kinds of dirty tricks, and they point to them mainly among the, you know, the Democrats are doing it. So they're not pointing to the fact that Republicans do these things too. They're pointing, they're pointing to these, these relatively small traditional kinds of dirty tricks, which are inherently competitive. And why? Why do they want to do this? Why are they directing attention over there? Because they don't want you looking at them. That's why. Because these, no, it, these, these small kinds of shifts can produce shifts of, you know, these d dirty tricks can shift 100 votes, 1,000 votes, maybe 10,000 votes. But the platforms themselves are shifting tens of millions of votes it's it's a whole new ball game that it's that's, a profoundly okay. different it's a different economy of scale and i think that's what i want you to right. talk about the the research you've done because donald trump to the point is facing indictment and i think 19 people are facing rico charges over what happened in georgia donald trump's on the phone saying hey you know twelve thousand votes something like that but your research dr epstein has suggested that in georgia alone a much larger number of votes may have been shifted by then, and I want you to speak to like tie that issue into what happened, maybe in Georgia, maybe elsewhere. The impact it might have had with the size and dominance that Google does have. You said ninety three percent of search is Google, and next biggest competitor is Microsoft Bing with two and a half percent. Which imagine working for Microsoft every day. <laughs> Man, we can get to three percent today, guys. We are crushing it. So <laughs> that's why I think the lawsuit against Google by I guess tie in what you think happened in Georgia or what could have happened in Georgia with this antitrust lawsuit that Google is now facing. Do we think this is real or does the fact that the Biden administration seemingly benefited from Google's dominance, do we, is this another sleight of hand? 
You know, I want to I want to hold on to Georgia for a minute. I want to get back to Georgia because Georgia is a very special case. But let me just throw out some other numbers because the last time that that we spoke about you know my research was quite a while ago, and we've made so much progress. So let me just throw out some other numbers first. So in 2020, we calculated uh, that Google alone shifted more than six million votes to Joe Biden whom I happen mm. to support. I'm very disappointed with him as a president. But the point is, they they, they shifted more than 6 million votes mm. to Joe Biden. Now, he won the popular vote by about, I think, close to 8 million. But most of that really came from Google. So, in other words, if you took Google out of that equation, and that's what we've learned how to do now for every election, we know how to take Google out of it and see what the result is, then that popular vote would have been very close. Not only that, in that election, uh, Trump won five out of the 13 swing states. If you take Google out of the 2020 election, Trump would have won 11 out of the 13 swing states and easily have won in the Electoral College. So Google makes a huge difference. And again, they mm. don't want you looking at them because the, the, their, their impact is so large and they, and they, but they can do that. See, they can redirect our attentions. So that makes them especially dangerous. In 2022, uh, Google shifted tens of millions of votes in hundreds of midterm, uh, elections. And let me also just give you a sense of the scale by which we are uh, monitoring these days, because back when you and I uh, made that uh, wonderful film, uh, The Creepy Line, uh, still available, go to Amazon. Uh, it's a great film. But back when we did that, and you, you were looking at my research in that film, um, you know, we had done relatively small scale uh, monitoring projects. In 2016, we had 95 field agents uh, in 24 states, we preserved 13,000, we call them ephemeral experiences. These were searches on Google, Bing, and Yahoo. We found very substantial uh, political bias on Google, but not the other search engines. The bias was sufficient that if Google had been showing people that bias nationwide, that would have shifted between 2.6 and 10.4 million votes uh, to Hillary Clinton, whom I also supported. But anyway... Uh, Jump ahead. In 2020, we had more than 1,700 field agents in four swing states, and we preserved more than 1.5 million ephemeral experiences mm. on multiple platforms. Wow. 2022, we had 2,742 field agents, all registered voters, in uh, 10 swing states, and we preserved more than 2.5 million ephemeral experiences. And as we've gotten better and better over the years, uh, we've gotten faster and faster and faster at analyzing our data. So a lot of data now that are coming in right this minute are being analyzed in real time. So uh, now, Georgia, you mentioned Georgia, so I just got to tell you something special about Georgia. Why are we doing this monitoring does it have any benefits? So in 2020, right before the election, uh, we had so much data and it was so incriminating. It was so incriminating, so disturbing that I decided to go public before the election, which I had been reluctant to do in the past, but I decided, no, this is too much. So I sent off our data to a reporter from the New York Post. She wrote an incredible story 
and then her editor had to make a phone call, of course, to do fact checking with Google. And the story got killed that very night. That was October 30th. Uh, the New York Post backed off because probably someone remind, reminded them that about 48% of their traffic was coming from Google, <laughs> that Google could literally put the New York Post out of business. Just a few weeks before, they had run the story about Hunter Biden's laptop, and they, they, and they went after Twitter, but they could go after Twitter. Twitter only sent them 3% of their traffic. Twitter was no threat to them. But Google, Google can put you out of business. But I sent the data also to Senator Cruz's office. And on November 5th, two days after the 2020 election, Cruz and two other senators sent a very threatening letter to Sundar Pichai, the CEO of Google, uh, two pages long summarizing my findings and saying, how do you account for this? You supposedly don't uh, take sides in an election, but you clearly are taking sides. And that very day, Google shut off all of their manipulations in Georgia, where there were two Senate runoff elections mm. uh, scheduled to be held in January. How do we know they shut off all their manipulations? Because we had more than a thousand field agents in Georgia. We preserved more than a million ephemeral experiences in Georgia. We saw them turn it off. We saw them uh, literally the bias in their search results go to zero, which we had never seen before. Most important of all, we saw them stop sending out partisan go vote reminders. Now, partisan go vote reminders, that is a blatant and extremely, extremely powerful way of shifting votes. Uh, if, if they are, are sending go vote reminders, uh, mainly to one party, in a national election on election day alone, that can give one party 450,000 extra votes. That's a rock solid number, by the way. Uh, in Florida in 2022, 100% of liberals kept getting go vote reminders from Google on election day. Only 59% of conservatives did. Mm, that is it's amazing. Blatant. That's blatant. But the point is in 2020, on that day that they got that letter from the senators, they stopped. Not a single person in Georgia from that day on got a go vote reminder, and the bias went to zero. So what does that tell you? That's a glimpse. That tells you that monitoring has the potential, finally, for the first time, if it's done right and it's done on a large scale, to make these companies accountable to the public. So one of the points that you make in your research is it's not just about presidential elections, it's about congressional elections as well. And I know you've done some research that looks at this search engine manipulation effect and how it's affecting voters. How would, and I think you've done some uh, number crunching on this, how would Congress, the U.S. House and the Senate be different absent Google's effect? How would how would that be different today? How powerful is this effect on the outcome of the congressional elections? Powerful. So in 2022, where the GOP ended up with a two-seat minority in the Senate, if you take Google out of the equation, take them out of the picture, make them accountable, however you want to look at it, uh, in fact, the GOP would have ended up with a majority of between two and eight seats in the Senate. Mm. Mm. Uh, House of Representatives, 
the GOP ended up with a very slim uh, 10 seat majority. I mean, where was the red wave, right? Uh, take Google out of the, out of the picture for that election and the GOP would have ended up with a, uh, a majority of between 27 and 59 seats in the House. So we're talking about big, 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 big effects. And it's really a shame that, uh, the people, uh, have been so successfully distracted. I can give you a couple of exceptions. Uh, Vivek Ramaswamy, all of a sudden, He's saying, you know, these these vote manipulations, these ballot manipulations we've been talking about. Yeah, they might have done something, he's saying. But, you know, who made the big difference? He says, Google, big right. tech. Yeah. He's saying yep. it. Carrie Lake has started saying it. I think people are finally beginning to get it into, into their heads that they have been manipulated. They have been misdirected. They have been misled. And, you know, all I can say is, wow. Uh, better late than never, because <laughs> I've, I've been saying this for a long time, and now here and there, people are getting the message. Well, so then I guess as a sort of a, a closing thought to tie it into what's happening this week, because you see all these headlines, the the Biden administration, the headlines say, has this most aggressive antitrust move. But as we've discussed, the big techs always made this political calculation or seemed to, they were going to maybe, because culturally they're more liberal anyway, but Republicans and conservatives are more reluctant to regulate a private enterprise. So why not be friends with the Democrats and that way you're protected. But now the Biden administration seems to be taking Google's size and power and monopolistic tendencies seriously. What's your assessment of this antitrust lawsuit and what do you expect to come from it? Oh, it's complete nonsense. Uh, I, I, I watch, I've worked with AGs around the country. I worked with the biggest team of AGs in the country for a long time. And I watched them shift gradually away from consumer protection issues to antitrust. And I, and I, and I heard their rationale. I mean, I've, I've done private briefings for AGs and, uh, and I've watched this shift to antitrust issues. That shift was engineered by Google's lawyers. They, they, yeah. antitrust is ludicrous. Uh, antitrust has to do with uh, issues relating to monopoly. And that's not going to help in this situation. That's not going to, going to, going to allow us to deal with the three big issues, which is the surveillance, uh, which we, you know, we could spend hours talking just about that. I mean, people again would be horrified if they knew how extensive the surveillance was. That's not going to deal with the censorship issue. Uh, in fact, it'll, it'll, it'll increase censorship because uh, Google, to avoid any kind of lawsuits, will just suppress more content. And it's not going to deal especially with the manipulation issue. Uh, those are all consumer protection issues. They're not antitrust issues. The antitrust stuff is it's, it's our leaders being able to say, look, we're doing something, when in fact they're not. They'll actually be helping uh, the big tech companies. Now, well, and, yeah. and, and also I was going to add, uh, uh, Robert, that the, the, the case the Department of Justice is beginning is primarily about advertising. It, it's not really about the, the manipulation of the, of the uh, search engine and, and, uh, and how it works. So again, it's a, it's a classic example of misdirection. So I want to um, just give you a minute here as we're, as we're closing 
to tell people about how they can help. Um, and I will say this, we met you uh, back in 2017, 2018, working on the film. And I remember one of the first things as we started talking is I said, you know, you, Robert Epstein, are one of the least political people I know. And you sort of said and said, well, you're one of the most political people I know because you've been <laughs> you've been in academe your whole life. But, you know, here is a researcher who is quite open and transparent. He supported Hillary Clinton in 2016. He supported Joe Biden in 2020. But as a professional researcher who looks at this area, it doesn't matter to him what his personal political preferences are. It's about what the research leads him to do. He's got a great concern about the future of the country. And this uh, operation that you put together it takes money and it takes resources. You don't take money from political organizations, from political action committees. So could you let people in the audience know, A, how they can reach out and learn more about the organization that is uh, that is supporting this and how people can financially support the research that are you, you're doing because you have this massive operation collecting and analyzing all this data? Well, first of all, the most important thing to keep in mind here is that uh, normally we shut down our monitoring systems when elections end. But this time in 2022, I decided, no, the time has come. We've got to set up a permanent system in all 50 states, very large scale. And so we've been building it. And we got $3 million uh, late last year from various donors. Uh, we've been building it. We're now have more than 11,000 field agents in all 50 states. And as of a couple of days ago, we crossed over the 40 million mark. We have preserved and are analyzing more than 40 million ephemeral experiences on multiple platforms. And we are finding the most disturbing kinds of things, especially on YouTube, the content that's going to children. Mm. We are preserving that. Uh, and, and, and it has never been preserved before. We just also discovered we have 20 million lines of data that contain content that Google never, ever intended anyone to see. But of course, they couldn't anticipate that someone someday was going to set up a system to do to them what they do to us, that is to track them, to mm. capture their data. So we have amazing, amazing data. But to get this system fully built, that's a $50 million project. And we are desperate at this point, and we're in grave danger of having to shut the whole thing down. If we shut this down, we will be turning over our elections and our kids to the tech lords probably forever. This system has to be fully built. If people want to help, they can go to mygoogleresearch.com. That's mygoogleresearch.com. There's a, lots of links there to our scientific work, and there are also links where people can donate money. And, you know, if you, if you have connections to any major donors or major foundations, I please get in touch uh, with Peter Schweitzer or Eric Eggers, or please reach out to me. Uh, because we will follow that up. We, we, are, we are desperate at this point. We don't want to shut down. So let me just ask you to do two things. Number one, um, you said the children being turned over to the techno-slavery empire. The stats you have on what YouTube does in terms of the ads of the kids, just share that very briefly, and then I have one more question for you as we wrap up. Absolutely. So we've noticed, for example, that registered voters on YouTube are getting – 
those uh, up next videos, those remind, you know, those, the videos that play next, if you do nothing, they're getting recommendations for videos, uh, for, just as for voters. Uh, about two thirds of them are coming from liberal, liberal news, news sources, which is about twice as many as we would expect by chance. For kids, the, the numbers we're getting are more like 96% of the content that's coming from any kind of news source going to kids, 96% are coming from liberal news sources. This is serious stuff. It's serious stuff. And I think from a cultural standpoint, if you wonder why the, the culture and the mindset and the behaviors of the younger generations seem to be shifting in a way that you've never really seen before. I mean, this yeah. is not like rock and roll with a cassette tape. This is you're actively and constantly exposed to things that are controlled by forces that are shaping real lives and real families. And that's a real thing. And so our last question, Dr. Epstein, is this is real stuff. This is, I think it's a massive deal. Uh, are you concerned for your safety? Because I think the things that you're talking about, they have dramatically real world consequences. Okay, I'm, uh, I am concerned for my safety. Uh, and after I did a briefing for some AGs a few years ago, uh, one of them came out of the room afterwards and said, Dr. Epstein, I don't mean to scare you, but he said, I think you're based on the work you're doing that you're going to be killed in some sort of accident in the next few months. And I was not killed, but my, my beautiful wife was killed. Yeah. So I have concerns for my safety, and I'll tell you at this point, because we're underfunded, our priority is to continue with the recruitment of field agents around the country. That's our priority, and so we're not really spending money at this point on security. So, yes, I'm very concerned. Well, I would tell everybody in the audience that's listening, um, if you know of somebody that can help uh, in a major way, you can certainly reach out to us or you can go to uh, the website that he mentioned, mygoogleresearch.com. Um, I highly commend the work that Robert Epstein's doing. He was really the first one uh, to highlight this challenge, and it's a looming threat uh, to the American Republic, the free flow of information. We think of censorship uh, as somebody silencing a voice, but online, it's you never even get to hear those voices because they are purposely buried by Google. So, um, Robert, we thank you for your continued research. Um, we want to have more updates. We encourage audience members get in touch with him and go to mygoogleresearch.com to help him out. Thanks so much for listening. Uh, you can find this podcast, of course, and information related to it at thedrilldown.com or wherever fine podcasts can be located. Thanks for joining us. Until next time. 